today's Palm Sunday. And isn't it? Okay. Well, I've been accused in the past of, you know, living in the future too much or whatever. So actually, I am preaching on the, the triumphal entry. Today is not Palm Sunday. So, uh, all the people who started freaking out going, oh, I have to clean up the house before my relatives come over. You don't have to do it yet. Um, <clears throat> you've got until three weeks from yesterday to, to clean up. Um, so <clears throat> if you're like us. But, um, <laughs> so we're going to talk about the triumphal entry. And, and here's the deal. We have a tendency when we look at that, when we look at that uh, story, when we look at the account of it in, in different Gospels, if you're like me, you kind of have a tendency, especially if you grew up in the church. You remember, you know, all the kids, they get little palms to wave around, and, you know, and sometimes we envision maybe Jesus is riding on this donkey, and he's doing the little parade wave. How you doing? You know, he's... And because we think that this is just kind of a little celebratory parade or something like that. Um, <clears throat> but we're going to pick apart the text today. We're going to go to Luke's account. We're going to read through it. But then we're going to also look at geography and politics and, and, um, and religion and all the different things that were happening at that time. And <clears throat> what we're going to learn is we're going to learn that this was uh, something far more epic than just a parade. Okay. Um, so follow along with me. We're going to go quick. Um, I have ADD. I forgot to take my meds. So we're going <laughs> to strap in your seatbelt. Those two things are absolutely true stories. Um, <laughs> so um, I did take my meds, but my wife had to bring them. So, <laughs> so, um, so if I ramble, you know why. Uh, <clears throat> so let's dig right into Scripture if we can. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn to Luke 19. If you have a smartphone and want to open up your Bible app, do that. Otherwise, follow along with me on the screen. <clears throat> so Luke says, when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, which no one has ever yet, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those, were sent, so those who were sent away, <clears throat> so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Uh, <clears throat> I always kind of like... Um, Within the Jewish culture, when they tell stories like this, there's always kind of like these little fun things. And if somebody asks you, you go tell them the Lord needs it. And then, of course, they go, why are you untying the colt? And I don't think they had Jewish accents like that. But, <laughs> but, but there is something kind of, you know, I mean, there's, there's always kind of little fun stuff going on in, in Hebrew stories. If you remember Samuel and Eli, um, Samuel hears, you know, uh, the voice at night, and he gets up and he goes three times to Eli, and he says, what do you want? Here I am. And it's, I mean, that's, that's done almost in a comical kind of setting. And so this is a little bit of that kind of comic feel. Um, let's look first, I said we're going to do some geography, so let's look first at this slide, and we can see Jesus's um, approach, the green line is how Jesus went into Jerusalem, Bethany to Bethpage, on the Mount of Olives, 
And then he walked down, and he kind of was going back and forth as he went in, and he entered Jerusalem right by the temple. Great. Um, So he's going back and forth um, as he's doing that because he is coming up a hill into Jerusalem. Jerusalem is set high up in the hills. Um, We'll see another map a little bit from now. Uh, But what you need to understand is that Israel is kind of at the crux of Europe and Asia and Africa, where they all kind of come together. And so for millennia, there had been armies marching back and forth across right by the Mediterranean, across where like Tel Aviv is today and the plains. And so Jerusalem was actually a capital city that was built up in the mountains. We're not talking Rocky Mountains, we're talking something much smaller than that, but it was up. So whenever you see in scripture they went up to Jerusalem, they're not talking about we're going north to Jerusalem, we're going, we're ascending to Jerusalem, okay? So that's why Jesus was kind of, you know, at the end, he wasn't like, you know, wandering and his GPS was all screwed up, but, um, <laughs> but it, was, it was how the path wound up the hill. And um, <clears throat> so that's how Jesus came. And then let's go to the next map. And it's a map of Jerusalem itself, and uh, an ADD guy with a laser pointer. Yeah, that's fun. Um, <coughs> that's supposed to work. Where do we go? Oh, there. Can you see it? All right, so there's the temple. There's the Golden Gate. That's the gate that Jesus went in, and he came to the temple, and, um, and he worshiped there. Okay, so that's how he came in. We're going to come back and see this, um, this map a lot because it's going to also help inform us. Uh, about the kind of epic nature of all this. So the first thing I want you to understand as we're unpacking all of this, um, and if you have your notepads and, and stuff, you're taking notes, I want you to go and, uh, and write here, um, the triumphal entry was not a fun little parade. Instead, it was an epic proclamation by Jesus. Not a fun little parade, but it was an epic proclamation by Jesus. So let's unpack that a little bit. As he's coming in from the west, he's coming in in from the east, uh, and he's coming into the eastern gate. Um, Let's read the rest of this passage, and we'll we'll dig a little further into it. So uh, starting picking back up at verse 36, as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives is right outside Jerusalem, and so he's coming down, and then he's going to start climbing back up. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. One of the words that they used was Hosanna, and Hosanna comes from uh, the Hebrew word, uh, its root is uh, yasa or yasha, which means he saves. And so when you hear the word hosanna, um, hosanna, hosanna to the son of David, um, <coughs> they're talking about somebody who actually comes to save. Uh, <coughs> some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So he's coming into Jerusalem, he's, he's coming and he's approaching the Golden Gate or the Eastern Gate, 
I've got a picture of it here. <coughs> you can see it's the it's right kind of to to the side. That's it right there, and that's the Dome of the Rock in present-day Israel. This is the the temple would be spread all through here. Okay, and <coughs> on the other side of that is where the Western Wall is. You hear about people going to the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall. That is the last remnant of the temple. Um, still standing in Jerusalem today, and it's on that other side, the far side of the temple, where people go to pray today. <clears throat> so let's, let's get some understanding here, because part of the messianic prophecy is <clears throat> that the Messiah would be coming in through the eastern gate. Let's look at Ezekiel really quick. Um, <clears throat> Ezekiel, and I, okay, I'm pulling this completely out of context, but it was something that, that informed the Jewish mind. It informed everyone who called themselves a Jew. They, they, they knew this passage. Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces east, and it was shut. And the Lord said to me, this gate shall remain shut. It shall not be opened, and no one shall enter by it, for the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered by it. Therefore, it shall remain shut. Only the prince may sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by way of the vestibule of the gate and shall go out by the same way. And <clears throat> so these verses came to, came, to be, um, came to be identified with Messiah, the prince that, that God would be sending. And, <clears throat> and so, so the messianic prophecy that all Jewish children growing up would hear about would inform them that Messiah was going to come through the east gates of Jerusalem. And the gate, uh, let's go back to that picture that I had of that. The gate is sealed up, and it was finally sealed up um, in, during the Crusades, and, <clears throat> and it has not been opened since. But, oh, what do we see right in front of the gate? You guys see that? It's a cemetery. Why would they put a cemetery right there? Well, first of all, they had to bury their dead outside the city. I mean, that was part of the Jewish uh, uh, code of cleanliness and so forth. But why would you do it right there? It's because Jewish people believed that Messiah was going to come in through the east gate. And when he comes, he would bring the resurrection of the dead. And so wealthy Jews would want to be buried right there so they could be among the first people to see Messiah and to greet him. And what did Jesus say when they started to worship him? He said, I'm not going to tell them to be quiet because if they stop, then these stones are going to proclaim that I am Messiah. These stones will cry out. He wasn't talking about stones. He was talking about the tombs. If these people aren't praising me, then the resurrection is going to, we'll, we'll just have it right now. And <clears throat> that probably changes your perspective on that story when you get to see, you know, where Jesus spoke that. It's a completely different spin for a lot of us. The first time I learned that, I was like, what? <clears throat> and uh, so that really kind of, really kind of blows me away. Um, <clears throat> In fact, let's look at the next slide after this. Um, one more. One more. Here we go. He said, what? 
this was when Jesus actually said that. I mean, for us to really understand the import of this, it was Jesus just had like a little ninja moment or else he just went, he, he took the mic, he said, boom, drop. That's what he did. People read, people read from the 21st century, people will read the gospel accounts and will say, well, Jesus never said he was Messiah. He never actually said that. It's not in the text anywhere. And you can go and read the gospels and you can say, you will not find a place where Jesus said, I am the Messiah. Never said that. But he just did when he did this. He was screaming it when he did this. So this parade wasn't just like, hey, let's have some fun. Jesus is here. And we're all going to go into the temple and turn over tables and stuff. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Spoiler alert. I was, you gave the ultimate spoiler alert today. He was talking about Jesus was died and was buried. And spoiler alert, resurrected. <clears throat> so... So Jesus just went all ninja on him, and, and uh, <clears throat> um, Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. He and his disciples were coming. They were making preparations for what holiday? Passover, exactly. This was the time where <clears throat> Passover was celebrated. So Passover, what did that commemorate? That commemorated when God delivered the nation of Israel from Egypt, right? The 12 plagues and Charlton Heston comes and gets everyone out. You have to be as old as me probably to get that joke. But, <clears throat> but <clears throat> there, there's all the plagues. And then the final one was the angel of death that came. And if you hadn't painted your lintel with the blood of a sacrificial lamb, then the angel of death would visit and the first son of your family would die. <clears throat> and, and after that, Pharaoh released the people, released the nation of Israel, and they left. Pharaoh changed his mind, came chasing after him. We know all that story. But this is the time where Jews come every year to commemorate that, to celebrate that. What are the politics like at this point? Politics are, are like this. There's Pontius Pilate, who was sent by Rome to rule with an iron fist over the Palestine slash Israel to collect taxes, to gather soldiers, to impose Rome's will. And, and so the Jews were constantly feeling that they were in oppression. So what time of year would it be most likely that Jews might want to rebel? The Jews would be focused on the fact that God is our deliverer. And maybe we should do something to help our deliverer deliver us. Right? That was Passover. That was the time when, when thousands of Jews, tens of thousands from all over the world would come to celebrate Passover. In fact, if you go to a Passover Seder and celebrate Passover with some Jewish people, one of the things that they will say as they're doing the Passover Seder is they will always say next year in Jerusalem because it's part of the Jewish mentality that we want to do Passover in Jerusalem and we're waiting for God to send Messiah so that he can gather us all and we can worship in Jerusalem. So this was a major holiday, a big, big event. Thousands of Jews from all over the world would come 
and descend upon Jerusalem. We see during the course of Jesus' life that he kept going to Jerusalem for different feasts. Feast of Tabernacle, for, uh, for the uh, High Day of Atonement, and for Passover. And um, <clears throat> it was something that he did quite regularly, and there'd be thousands of, of Jews just making their way to Jerusalem at this time. What better time for a rebellion to start? So what did Pilate do? Well, Pilate would come into Jerusalem and he would make sure that there wasn't going to be any kind of revolt. And Herod would come into Jerusalem because he was supposed to be the king uh, of the nation of Israel. And, and that was his job. He was appointed by Rome as well. Um, he wasn't uh, uh, genealogically or um, um, ethnically Jewish, but he, he claimed himself to be the king of the Jews. So both of these guys would come into Jerusalem to make sure that nothing got out of hand. Let's go to the next uh, map, and this is kind of a topic, um, oh, it's, not a, it's not in focus enough. Come on, work with me, there we go. So here is Jerusalem, right there. And um, <clears throat> during, uh, during normal times, Herod and Pilate didn't hang around Jerusalem a whole lot. What they would do is they would live elsewhere. Um, just trying to, oh, this is clear, huh? So Caesarea by the sea, right up here, is where Pilate would stay. Um, <clears throat> we're going to see some pictures of it in some time. I wanted this map up here because you can see all the hills. They're kind of a spine running up and down Israel right there. These are more plains along here. So this is where armies would tromp back and forth for thousands of years. And that's why they built Jerusalem and made it a capital city up here in the hills where it could withstand uh, attack. Uh, Herod would also come to Jerusalem. Let's look at the next map. Uh, <coughs> this one, uh, yeah, this will work. Yeah, it didn't come out the way I really wanted it to. But here's... Here's Caesarea, um, where Pilate lived, and that's the bottom edge of the, of the Sea of Galilee. And, and he lived up, well, Herod actually had 15 different palaces, 15. Every single one had a swimming pool in it. So when you hear Jesus Christ Superstar, and he says, if you're the Christ, the great Jesus Christ, prove to me that I'm a fool, walk across my swimming pool, um, <coughs> That was historically accurate. He had swimming pools at every uh, of his uh, different places. And uh, so 15 different, 15 different uh, palaces that he had. Up on uh, the Sea of Galilee, uh, it was usually very pleasant in the springtime. He had some places out in the desert where he lived during the summer because um, it was actually cooler there. Um, they were stone things that were carved, some of them carved down into the bedrock. There's, uh, there's an amazing place called the Herodian, um, somewhere south of Jerusalem uh, in the desert. Um, um, <clears throat> and so uh, scholars mostly believe that he was in, uh, in Tiberias and was coming down from the Sea of Galilee uh, up here. So when they would both approach, uh, <clears throat> coming from Caesarea by the sea, um, Pilate would be coming down and he would climb up into Jerusalem like this way and Herod would be coming down here, and he'd come along the, uh, the River Jordan, and he would make his approach probably from Jericho. 
And <clears throat> so they would be coming to Jerusalem. They weren't too far apart when they started, but they both had to come from different angles because of the hills. Wow. That'll wake you up if you didn't get enough sleep last night. <clears throat> so let's look for a second at, uh, at Caesarea by the Sea. So this is Caesarea by the Sea. You'll see at the bottom there's an amphitheater. It's a beautiful amphitheater, very well preserved. It was built some, some years uh, before Christ. I've actually been there, and uh, it's amazing because that's the Mediterranean off to the side. Uh, you see that crescent-shaped uh, thing right up here? This is a harbor that the Romans built. And let's go to the next slide. This is from a different angle. You can see, you can see the harbor right here. Uh, the amphitheater is up here now. Um, <clears throat> but the, the harbor works actually came out, and there was just a very narrow opening here. And <clears throat> so they've eroded a lot since then. But it was, uh, it was a fab Thank you. It was a fabulous harbor where, uh, where uh, ships could come and provision the troops, where, uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah, so they did all kinds of, of shipping there, and that's where Pilate lived. Uh, during the year, he would go down to Jerusalem when it was important for him to be down there and to impose his will and Rome's will. <clears throat> Let's go to the next slide. Oh, there's the map. Boom. Um, <clears throat> that's the one that I've been looking at. So, um, uh, so they would, wow. They would both make their approach to Jerusalem uh, coming from different uh, angles. Let's go on further. There, this guy is kind of a typical Roman soldier. And <clears throat> the Roman soldiers, when they would come down, Pontius Pilate wouldn't just come down by himself, by the way. He would bring an entire, like, garrison or platoon or squad or battalion or whatever. Um, I don't know military words, but he would come down all in formation, and, <clears throat> and they would come into Jerusalem to let the Jewish people know that this was not a good time for you to think about rebelling. <clears throat> so don't even think about it, right? And, <clears throat> and they would have, you know, they wear little dinner plates on their breast pl plates or something. I don't know, but, but um, they had all kinds of different things. Um, it's cut off in this picture, and I wish it weren't, but above him, he is holding a standard, um, and on the standard there'd be little... Um, flags from whatever regiment he was in, battles that that regiment has been in, but almost all of them would have an eagle up on top because that was the symbol of Rome, okay? Uh, <clears throat> see that over and over and over again. Nazi Germany uh, took that symbol and then they used that and it was evoking the power of Rome and they were saying, we are the new Rome. Um, <clears throat> so imagine... A thousand or two thousand of these guys all marching together, coming down with chariots and horses and full battle gear, they were quite a sight. And it wasn't just something that you would see. You would hear them like a mile away because they were so loud as they are as they're marching down. Christ said if somebody asks you to uh, to walk a mile for them, go the extra mile. Do the, what he was talking about is Roman soldiers would grab people and say, here, carry my stuff for a mile because their stuff was so heavy. And so people would, that's what he was referring to. So people would grab them and have to drag their, 
their stuff for a mile, and then they were, and then, okay, thanks for volunteering. And, um, <coughs> yeah, because they didn't volunteer. Um, <coughs> so, so I, that's an unpleasant noise. So that is what, uh, so that is what uh, the Roman people, would, the, the soldiers would be like. They're coming down, they're dressed like this. They're an incredible, impressive, oppressive, scary force moving down across the plains, coming to Jerusalem, curd before they're seen. And, um, and remember Herod. Herod is coming down. He's despised by people. He doesn't have the military might that, that Pilate had, but he had the title of king over the Jewish people. And so, so he was supposed to be more of a religious leader, but he was well known for being um, a very lecherous person, for being uh, kind of a party animal, for being ruthless. I mean, he would kill people that crossed him. One of his favorite ways to kill people was to have them accidentally drown in his swimming pools. Um, <clears throat> and so he's coming down with his party contingent, and they're going to make, I mean, it's like photo ops for them. That's why they're coming down. But he represents a certain amount of power because he can talk to Rome and Rome will listen to him more than Rome will listen to Jewish religious leaders and so forth. Um, <clears throat> so let's look at this next verse. Yeah, this is from Luke 9. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What did Jesus call, uh, call Herod once? That fox. Jesus referred to Herod as a fox. And what? Hold on. The, the army of Rome comes under the symbol of an eagle. Birds of the air have nests, and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. <laughs> Jesus, I mean, that's a, there's, you know, that's more ninja Jesus stuff. He is referring, and by the way, when he says Herod is a fox, in Jewish culture, they understood a fox to be somebody who was kind of a loser because foxes were like scavengers. You know, they wouldn't go and um, they, were, they stood in contrast to a lion, lions versus foxes. And so the lion was somebody, a self-made man, somebody who could, and they would talk about people in, in these terms. He's a lion. Look at that. He's built his own business. He's an amazing guy. He... Um, he conquers, he eats what he slays, blah, blah, blah. A fox, on the other hand, is somebody who is, it's, it's not like the crafty, sly kind of image that we have, but instead, it's kind of like he's a loser. So Jesus basically said, tell that fox, go tell that loser what I said. So Jesus kind of flat out went that way with, uh, with, with our friend Herod. So... Can we go back to the map of Jerusalem? If you can find that. Hey, awesome. I, I told them it was going to be an adventure trying to figure out where my slides are going today. So why did I lose this? There it is. Okay. So here's the thing. When, when Pilate and when Herod are approaching Jerusalem, Pilate is going to come up and he's going to come into a gate somewhere right around here. That's where the path that he is on will lead him. And so he's going to come in here, and he's going to walk through Jerusalem and par parade down, and he's going to come down to his palace. And 
probably on about the same day, Pontius Pilate will be approaching from up here with all of his, uh, with all of his regalia and everything like that, and he will be coming in through a gate right over here. And, and he will cross in front of Herod's palace, and all of his men are going to go, and they're going to end up here in the fortress of Antonia. And can we, you have the, the picture of the temple? Yeah, so there is the temple. Um, there's the east gate where Jesus came in. Here's the temple. Um, Herod's court is way back here. Pilate is coming in here, and he's bringing all of his men to the fortress of uh, Antonia. And by the way, when they're in there, they're, stand, they're standing right above the temple, and they're saying, don't even think about rebelling because we're watching. And we are right here. And that was strategically placed there for that very specific purpose. And so Herod's retinue and Pilate's mob are all coming together and crossing, intersecting one another's paths, and they are coming into their respective places in Jerusalem. And in comes Jesus against this political and military might. And he comes in, and people are worshiping him People, people believe that he is Messiah at that point. So what we need to know is, is this, and it's the second thing for you to fill in. Um, when Jesus, um, did we already do that? When Jesus uh, enters, his entry into Jerusalem committed him to the cross. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem committed him to the cross. Because before this, he had been teaching and preaching, and he had deflected stuff. You know, people would say before, let's go establish your kingdom. And he would be like, the time has not yet come. And now he's coming in, and he allows people to worship him. And he proclaims himself as Messiah. He's like, boom, it's me, it's time. And when he came in this, you know, week before Easter, he was choosing a path, he was choosing a time, he was committing to this, knowing full well that the religious leaders, that the, the military leaders, that the government officials, all of a sudden would see him as a huge threat. And so his commitment to the cross wasn't when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane four days later, it was now. This is when he committed because he started the wheels in motion. And it wasn't, it wasn't like he gets arrested four days later and, and people are like, what? It, it wasn't surprising. It was not surprising at all. And Christ knew that then and there he was committing to the cross. You get that? What a powerful picture that is. Not just some little parade, but man, it was huge. So, third slide, third thing for you to write down. Jesus calls us to commit to his kingdom. The same way he committed, he calls us to commit. He calls us to a radical commitment where we're going to follow him. Uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, preachers uh, that I listened to way back in the day, um, <coughs> uh, 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 he was uh, in inner city Los Angeles, Dr. E.V. Hill. And um, <clears throat> he was African-American, and he kind of old style. And one of the things that I loved that I heard him say in a sermon once, he's like, if you want to rise with Jesus in his glory, you need to, 
You need to lie down with him in his suffering. And Jesus committed, and he knew that his path was going to be a path of suffering. He also knew what, he knew the spoiler alert already, that, that he was going to rise again. But we are called to that type of radical commitment. Following Jesus is not something that is, oh, yeah, I kind of I like Jesus, we're cool. He's my guy. That's not what it's about. So, what does that commitment look like? First of all, we need to commit to a different authority. We need to commit to a different authority. When we are living our lives, yeah, we have, we've we got to commit to the, you know, we've got to obey the IRS and, you know, do that. And we, gotta, and we have laws in this land. But we need to commit to a different authority, meaning we need to listen to the voice of society and say, no, what you're saying is not true. What you're saying is not true. There is a truth that I know and that I am committed to, and here's what it is. And I am going to follow that. I'm going to be committed to that. And that can come out in so many different ways. We don't have time to get into it, but we need to commit to a different authority. We also need to commit every day. For some people, Christianity is Christmas and Easter. And that's not what Christianity is. Jesus did not come into Jerusalem and, and set this all into motion so that we could be forgiven and just sit around and say, you know, okay, I'm not going to go to church this week. I'm not going to grow in my faith. I'm not going to reach out to others. I'm not going to live a life that will cause other people to stop and say, what is up with you? I'm not going to do any of that because uh, Jesus did all this. And so, no, it call, he calls us to an everyday commitment. Every day when we get up, we need to follow him. And the last thing is this. We need to commit for a lifetime. Some people go to church and <clears throat> they go through confirmation. And they get that done and then they go a little bit after that. But then they're kind of, I call them good to go believers. So, yeah, I, I prayed a prayer and now I'm good to go. And that's not what it's about. It's, it's our lifetime that we are saying, I'm, I'm going to commit to this no matter what. And I am not going to, I'm not going to turn to the side. I'm not going to turn back. I'm not going to, I believe in Christ. And so I am going to follow him the rest of my life. That's the kind of commitment that we are called to. And I think it's made a lot easier when we see how Christ committed to what he committed to. So. I had a little bit more. We don't have time for it. So let's pray. Stand up and pray with me, would you? <clears throat> Lord, I want to thank you today for, <clears throat> for the willingness that you showed to confront the political structures of your day, to confront the authority structures, uh, the religious leaders, military might, governments. I thank you for, for having the guts to do what you did. And I pray, God, that we will also have the guts to live for you, to follow you, to commit ourselves to you, to commit ourselves to your kingdom, to commit ourselves to everything that is entailed in that. We thank you for the privilege of knowing you. And we give ourselves.
ourselves to you this day.